Hey, thank you so much. Thank you, Lynn. Thanks, team. This is so good. So it's great to be here. Really, really good. Um, Lynn's just said, tell a little bit of the story. And, and what you mentioned was leaving something and being three years ago, being so scared. Is this God? Is this me? Is this us? Are we crazy? Yes. Is there anyone else crazy? If it's three, four. Uh, just the whole thing of, and even Mike saying this last week, of, of just backing or just hanging on to God and believing what he said and then stepping out. But I realized the whole thing of, you know, three years ago, one of the most encouraging things to me was thinking, I, I, we were so scared. Like, is this really God to leave everything and go to a new country? Or is this, is this just craziness? And I actually went and sat down with Pastor Mike, met him at the, the Bay Espresso Cafe, I remember the spot, just so terrified of saying, this is what God's been telling us. He just laying it out step by step. And, and I'd emailed him because he was in Indonesia at the time and thinking, can you just pray about this? This is what God's been saying. These are the scriptures he said. And just being terrified, to be honest. And then sitting down with Mike. Mike didn't even talk about it. He just started to tell his story of how he and Joy had left Danny Burke and the things that had been going through his heart of you know, he's part of uh, what he thought was his lifetime, building a church and a Christian school in Danny Verk. And then almost out of the blue, God has spoken about leaving all of that and going to a new place, to this place called Hastings, to take on this church. And just the turmoil, he just started to talk through what, and I'm just going, I never knew that. I never knew that the very things that we were about to step into, he did that maybe 25 years ago which was so, so encouraging. And we're surrounded by so many people, others that have done that tra- same journey, where we, wa- we say one thing is, it's many people are willing and say yes to God, but not as many are available. And, and we just made this decision in our lives that even way back, like, God, we want to give our lives to serve you because we know that there's nothing better than that. And we trust your goodness. And it says in Psalm 126, when the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. And then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. And we often will stop there. But then it carries on and it says, then they said among the nations, hasn't the Lord been good to them? So we're just standing here as a testimony of the goodness of God. And that, that everybody's the same. And you, this is a journey of walking and learning to trust him. And so much of our journey has been upheaval of, oh, did I really believe that? Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. Just overcoming the fears and the, the concerns and how am I going to feed my family and then just seeing things start to open up. Our journey didn't start three years ago like Andy referred to. It started when we first got married and like most newlyweds we didn't have a lot of money but we decided to to put the money that we had towards saving for a house and really at our heart was we want to be debt free so we can serve the Lord and we thought that that would be you know doing a mission trip and going in and out and things like that and we Andy as you know if you've been around for a while was doing that but at the point that we left we had a debt free house and really through the goodness of God even to get us to that place so when the call of God came to shift, 
we were already available. So we had the finances, we had the backing in the sense that our whole lives, all our financial decisions, even though we didn't know it, had been getting us ready for that moment. When you leave, it's a big decision. And it's, like Andy said, it's really scary. But the cool thing is that um, it is a journey. And everyone looks at the big yes that you say when you go, oh, you know, that's so scary and well done, you've made that big yes. And actually the first big yes is really easy. Because God speaks and it's really clear and you, well, what choice have you got? Like, God said it, okay, we're going. The harder thing is the continual yes every day afterwards. So we found ourselves over in Reading, California with no income, four kids, and everything's different. Like, everything is different. So you go to the grocery store and all the brands are different. And you don't know which one to buy. And they drive on the other side of the road and there's no one whose face is familiar, not one. The church we go to, about a thousand people attend a service, each service. And then you get up out of your seat and the next thousand come in. And you don't know any of them. And all those things add up to this big package of, ah, it being scary. And yet what we've found is that God meets you in that place like he can't meet you any other place. And so what we've discovered over the last three years is that when you're in that place and it's all uncertain and it's really scary, he's so faithful. And he's faithful when you're in your comfort zone, but when you step out of your comfort zone, you discover that in a whole new way. Yeah, so that's, it's just been this journey of, uh, there's this guy called John G. Lake who was around maybe 100 years ago, and he wrote this book called Adventures with God. And that's, that's what this whole journey's been like, this adventure. It's like you don't, you don't know what you know until you step out beyond yourself. And we've always said there's more of God beyond your fingertips, but you've got to get beyond your fingertips. But the only problem is it's like, here's my fingertips, and if I'm going to step out beyond this, that the risk is I'm going to fall. And that's a reality, and that happens. But what we've learned is that I, w- I wouldn't trade it for the world. I wouldn't trade the uncertainty. I wouldn't trade the comfortable salary, the retirement, the free education, the free dental care. I wouldn't trade it for the world for the measure of the presence of God that I get to push into and the measure of his heart that we just get to receive. This whole journey of knowing that we come from a a rich heritage with Bay City of strong spirit life, of just a foundation in the prophetic and just growing in, in our journey of growing and just knowing his heart and that this is so real and I can just receive more and more of his love. And that has just been just so much fun. And then to get turn, turn that into being able to sit with people uh, in, in the church we're a part of, but now all over the world, and help them tap into who's God to me and who's God through me and how do I partner with him and see heaven released through my life and have fun in the journey, and get to just celebrate, hasn't the Lord been good to them? So people look at you wherever you go, and they say, what, what is it? how come you're so happy? How come, you're so, how come there's such a peace around you that just floods out of you? And that's this whole journey that, as we've been just walking ourselves, then we just to get, give away what we already have, which is just so good. So just before Janine starts, I just want you to put your hands in front of you, and
We just know one thing is that uh, what you have, you can give away. Yeah. And if you recognize it, you receive it. And it's free. Mm-hmm. So I just want to just bless you. Yeah. So Father, I just want to thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this journey of risk and faith. Thank you for this journey of learning and uh, it's like resting and leaning into your heart. So I thank you for the revelation of the Father heart of God that you've given us. Thank you for the anointing and the grace that's on our lives. And I just release that in this place. I release the sweetness of your presence. I release just the revelation of entering into your rest and living from a place of rest. I thank you for your goodness. We just say more of you. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of your government and peace, there will be no end. So we say yes. Yes, Papa God. More of your presence. More of a revelation of who you are and who we are as your sons and daughters. We say show us now your ways that we may know you. Show us your ways that we may know you. Show us your ways that we may know you. And that our mouths will be filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. And that they'll say among the nations of us, hasn't the Lord been good to them? I have to have the blue mic, apparently. Yes. <laughs> I think that's the story of our, of, of, of our lives, is hasn't the Lord been good to them? It's funny when you get to that place, like Andy said, of um, what you thought you always wanted, you find out isn't so important. And for me, when I lived here in Hastings, probably what was really important was security and knowing where things were at and just having a plan and being certain about some things. And we got over there and found that there was nothing certain, like nothing. So we had a visa for a short time. We had enough money for a little while. We, and there was nothing certain. And as I tried to work it out, I was like, oh, my goodness, there's nothing certain. And I hated it, to be really honest. I remember coming back here briefly after about a year and saying to people, what's fantastic about being over there is that if I don't stay with my face pressed into God and in faith every day, I will end up crying in the closet or booking a ticket home. That's the reality of it. But the journey has been coming to that place where actually I now embrace the uncertainty Because in not having anything certain in my normal circumstances, I have no choice but to have my feet planted on the rock. I have no choice but to trust him, and that's a good place to be. So we've just seen amazing, amazing things happen. I tell people I have the best job in the world. I'm a dream coach. That's one of my roles or our roles. And so we meet with people and we talk to them, what's the dreams of your hearts? Like, what's God put in your heart that you want to go after? And then we coach them and ask them questions just to say, well, what's the next step for you to do? Like, how are you going to get there? What's one thing you could do this week? And so what we see is this beautiful partnership between people doing their part and, and God doing his part and dreams coming true. 
I said to Andy about three or four weeks ago, I said, you know what, I'm wrecked. And he sort of looked at me and I said, well, I'm wrecked because I'm at this place now, though, even though there's no certainty in our lives, and I know that's a good thing, I just am so certain that God will come through. And, and it's because I've just seen like person after person after person after person where he's been faithful and he's broken through. So we're meeting with people who are believing for houses and we're seeing their houses come true and we don't have a house. And we're, we're meeting with people who are believing for financial breakthrough and we're seeing financial breakthrough and we still don't have an income. And we're, you know, we're meeting with people who are believing for health and they're getting that and there's times when we're still sick. And, but what's happened is that as I suddenly stopped and I realized, oh my goodness, I've seen so much of the goodness of God, like I just don't have any right to ever have a bad day again. Like I'm in this place where, yes, things can go wrong and I can be, ah, oh, but I, if I just turn my eyes and look at what I see every day and God's goodness displayed for his people, it's like, come on, girl. What does that say about who he is? All that has nothing to do with what I want to talk about, but I just thought I'd throw that in as a freebie. (laughs) You're welcome. Hey, why don't you turn to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to give you a moment just to talk. The other thing I wanted to say is it's really nice to be in New Zealand and not have to know that, you know, like people can't understand me. When I'm speaking in America, I often look across the crowd and I'll see this blank look come across people's faces or I'll hear laughter and it's inappropriate, like it doesn't fit with the funny parts and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I've said something wrong again. So it's really nice to be among friends and family where hopefully you can understand my accent and nothing I say should be offensive to you without me at least knowing about it. Did you get to Romans 12? All right. Romans 12, 1 and 2. You've no doubt heard many of you this verse before. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We all know that the world tries to squeeze us into its mould. And it's pretty obvious when the world tries to squeeze it, at least in some senses. Like it tries to squeeze you into the mould of, go get drunk. And if you were trying to squeeze into that mould, it's pretty obvious, it's pretty outward. Or they try and tell you, you know, be promiscuous, go sleep around pretty obvious. And so often we look and we say, oh, well, you know, we come across a verse like this and, oh, don't be conformed to the, you know, don't conform to the world's standards. Okay. And you look at your life, oh, I'm not conforming. I'm, I'm good. I'm not doing those things that the world does. I'm, you know, I'm living a good Christian life. I think what we've missed, though, is that sometimes we're trying to conform to something else. And as I look around, what I see is that we're actually conforming in the church. And our problem isn't so much that we've tried to conform to what the world looks like, it's that we've tried to conform to our picture of what a good Christian looks like. 
does this happen? You know, right from the time we're tiny, we're taught to conform. You know, we learn in kindergarten, in preschool, we all do this together, we all do it the same way. And whilst there's room for creativity, we start to realise that when I don't do it the same as other people, a couple of things happen. One is, the teacher might not be very happy. Like the teacher said, line up and all walk that way, and I tried doing it a different way, and I got in trouble. Or, we're playing in the playground and everybody wanted to do it this way and I did it this way and I got beat up. Well, no one wanted to play with me anymore. And so right from the time we're tiny, we get this message of I need to be like other people or I need to be how other people tell me to be because if I don't, something bad will happen. I'll be rejected, I'll be told off, they won't want to be my friend. Now, there's some good things to conform to. The Bible makes it pretty clear that, you know, God wants us to, you know, do some things and not do other things. But he also makes it really clear in his word that we're to be different, to not conform. But I think we're so wired by the world's way of thinking that when we walk into church, we're looking for the image of what do I need to do and be to fit in here? Like, what does a good Christian look like? What does the most spiritual person in this place look like? Because I'm going to try and look like them. I'm going to talk like them. I'm going to pray like them. I'm going to do anything I can to become that person. And it's not because of the pressure of that person, but it's because inside we are wired, we're actually conformed by the world to say, I need to be something and I'm looking, I'm scanning to see what's acceptable in this place. Is this registering? Yeah. And so when we come in, we're already wired to look like, I need to look and find that picture and then slowly but surely we try and bend ourselves into that mould, even if it doesn't fit us. And God has a different plan. You know, Genesis 1 says this, that you and I were, well, Adam and Eve initially were made in his image. And that you and I are too. Now, when you look at Adam and Eve, now they were naked, so it was fairly obvious they were different. Naked. Male and female, pretty obvious they were different. Yeah? Look around and everyone looks different. Yet everyone is made in his image. And we get it, we see that everybody's different in the natural looking with our eyes, but I think we don't really get it that the insides of us are as different as the outsides of us. And so we spend all our lives trying to conform the insides of us, even though our outsides are different. And we work pretty hard at conforming our outside too. Like, what's the cool thing to wear? How's the best way to have my hair? What makeup should I have? What accessories are in this year? What shoes should I wear? I need to fit in. I need to conform. Or, if you're a non-conformist, what do I need to wear because I don't want to fit the mould? And they create a whole new mould over the other side of the road. But we're wired to think this way. 
And I'd like to propose to you that that's not a kingdom way of thinking. A kingdom way of thinking is, who have you made me to be? And what image have you got in your mind when you look at me? The Bible says that we are to be transformed from glory to glory. The verse I read at the start said that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The question is, what are you being transformed into? The plastic picture of the good Christian girl or boy? Or are you being transformed into his image, the image of you that he thought of when he created you? I recently was talking to the Lord about, now this is very spiritual, are you ready? My belly. I don't mean the inside belly, I mean my actual belly. Now this might be a bit scary, so I'm glad you're all sitting down. I've had four kids and I had them pretty close together. And my belly wasn't that fantastic before I had the four kids. I used to weigh about 70 or 80 pounds heavier than I do now. All these things took their toll on my belly. Genetics were against me. Both my parents have no butt and a belly. I actually have a physical condition that makes me often get bloated and have a sore belly. So I was talking to the Lord about my belly like, God, I'm not that impressed with it. But what it did was it made me think, start to think about, even as I'm ashamed of my belly, why am I ashamed of it? Oh, it's because it doesn't conform to my image of what it should be. There's no one in my life telling me my belly's ugly. Andy often tells me it's beautiful. But my problem is, I have a picture in my mind I want to live up to. And when I look in the mirror, it's not happening. I don't conform to the image that I think is okay. So as I'm talking to the Lord and kind of, you know, musing on this issue with my physical belly, I start to talk to him about, God, what are the areas on the inside of me where it's the same? Like, what are the things inside of me that I've hidden, like I hide my belly, because they don't measure up to my image of what I think they should look like. And I started to realize, actually, there's some areas that he made me to be that I haven't been too fond of or that I've experienced some negative feedback over and I've hidden them and felt ashamed. Ever been like that? Ever woken up and said, oh, wow, I think, I think I don't like that about me. My whole life, 
Who I'm made to be is to celebrate the uniqueness of others. Like, I get so excited when... Have you, has anyone here done Strength Finders, the Strength Finders test? It's a, it's a great tool you can buy. You buy the book, you take a test, answer all these questions, and what it spits out is your strengths. There's 34 or 36 different strengths. And it gives you your top five. And then it goes on to tell you that you are one in 33 million something or other. With that strength, like if you were to meet 33 million other people, they would, you might find one other person that had those top strengths in that order. Like I love that stuff because I'm like, Whoa, I always knew everyone was supposed to be different. And now science is proving it. This is cool to me. I get excited, but then I suddenly realize in my belly and in other areas of my life, here I am celebrating the uniqueness of others, and I'm still locked into this world's way of thinking and trying to be the same. So I started this kind of walk with the Lord and saying, God, what do you want to do about this? How do you want to interact with me over this? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I was thinking about that, thinking... Well, in my mind, I know I'm okay. It's not my mind I'm really trying to convince. It's my heart. Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I thought my brain was my thinker and my heart was my feeler. But as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And I think in Romans where he's talking about be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he's not talking about your thinker. He's talking about what you really think, what you really believe, because you live out of this. You live out of your heart. And your life shows what you really think or believe in your heart. Like what you believe deep down. Like if I can mentally think, I believe in healing. But if I suddenly get, and, and we've had a word, when we got married, Andy and I had a word that we would both live long lives. And I believe that. But if I go to the doctor tomorrow and he gives me a diagnosis of you're about to die in three weeks, I'm about to find out what I really believe. Because what I think is not as important as what I think here what I really believe. Because if I really believe that God is faithful, that he said we're going to live long lives, then a diagnosis from the doctor is not going to actually shift that in any way, shape, or form. It might unsettle me for a bit. But if I really believe in here that God is who he says he is and he's faithful to his word, I'm not going to be rock. So I think when he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he's really talking about be transformed in what you're thinking in your heart. Can we agree on that? Give me a wave if you think that sounds fair enough. All right, we're on, the, we're on the same page. That's a good thing. So I started thinking about my heart. Like, what do I believe? What's going on in there? 
And tonight, I want to talk a little bit about your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow all the issues of life. You live your life totally out of what you believe in your heart. Now, you can change what you think in your thinker for a little bit. You can change your behavior, yeah? But if it doesn't change deep down here, you won't really change for a long term. And when God gets hold of your heart, it brings change. When it talks about guard your heart in this verse, it's not talking about chicken wire. Like, don't just erect a little chicken wire fence that, you know, somebody gives it a kick and it falls down. It's got a really strong sense to it. It's more like erect big brick walls around your heart. Like, take this seriously. This is a serious word. This is an intense guard your heart. This is not, you know, protect it like you don't mean it. This is, get serious, get focused, get really guard this thing. And I thought, why is he saying this? Well, because all the issues of life come out of it. Yeah, but why? Well, talk to me more. So I started looking through the New Testament. The New Testament has got a huge amount to say about the heart. But I found this other verse. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. Clearly, this is Paul writing, clearly you are an epistle, a letter of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. What's he saying? He's saying, we came and we ministered to you, and God wrote on your heart. And now you're a letter that God's sending. God wrote on your heart. Maybe you didn't hear me. I said, God came with his finger and wrote on your heart. Whoa. When I read that, I was just like, whoa. I've heard about God writing on things like the Old Testament. He writes on the, the tablets. How did the Israelite treat the tablets that God wrote on after that? The first lot got broken because Moses went, ah, you're, you're worshipping an idol, ah, drops the tablets. Goes back up the mountain, he gets another lot. What happened to those tablets? Who knows? What happened to those tablets? What, did, what happened? They went in the Ark of the Covenant. Well, how did the Israelites treat the Ark of the Covenant? They valued it really highly. So no one was allowed near it. They carried it. They had a special place for it. Everything revolved around, this is what represents how God interacted with us. It's precious. We've got to value it. We need to protect it. Why? Because they saw God's finger right on this stone. It was a physical thing, but it represented how God interacted with them. And I thought, wow, in the same way that God wrote with his finger on those tablets of stone, now he's saying, he's writing on the tablet of my heart. It's a tablet of flesh. But how much do I value what he's written? How much do I value what he has written on my heart? Do I treat it with fear and trembling? Do I treat it like it's precious? Or do I just say, well, it's just, you know, 
whatever. And after a while, cast it aside. Like I was thinking about this. What if I was sitting out in the sun one day and I had some stepping stones, concrete stepping stones sitting beside me, and I'm sitting there interacting with the Lord and I see a hand come from heaven and write on that thing. And I know it's God. Like the message says it's God. Everything about my spirit knows it's God. Like, whoa, are you going to leave that behind when you shift? I don't think so. Are you going to keep that house forever? Or at least buy that plot of land or dig them up and take them with you? I would be. Don't know about you. Because not, that doesn't happen very often. Where you get to see the finger of God come and write in front of you. We don't see it with our natural eyes, yet every day it's going on in our hearts. Your every interaction with God is writing something deep in your spirit on your thinker of your heart. But he says, go back to that one. Guard it. Guard it fervently. Like get aggressive about guarding that thing because it's precious. My interactions with you change who you are. They transform you, but you've got to keep a guard over it or you'll, get, you'll lose it. And you'll be conformed to the world. You'll be conformed to the image in your mind of what you should be instead of being transformed to be who he called you to be. What's he writing on your heart? What has he written on your heart? You know, some of those things that he's written on your heart were there before you were even born. Psalm 139 says he was there and formed you. He created you in your mother's womb. And so some things were there even before you were born. Our second girl, Emily, she's eight now. She was nearly six when we left. But she is kind. Like if you ask anybody in our family, who's the kind one? Without fail, they will all say Emily. She's the one that the day they all got given helium balloons at the movies, and we, we were really diligent, we got everybody's balloon in the car, we did well. But as we got out the car at home, you guessed it, Ben let his go and, goodbye, Helia Balloon. <sighs> Emily immediately says, Ben, you can have my balloon. Oh, what do you do with balloons anyway? Now, she'd been as thrilled as any of them to get the balloon, but for her, this kindness so deeply etched on her heart, she can't help herself but be kind even to her own cost. She was kind from the moment she was born. When she was 17 months, I had been. And I was a little concerned, to be honest, because she was that kid who always wanted to be on my lap. And I thought, oh my goodness, here comes this baby, and you know I'm going to be feeding this baby, and how's she going to cope? But at 17 months, she expressed nothing but kindness. Why? Because God wrote that on her heart. That's who she is. Who did he make you to be? Who did you come out of your mother's womb as? 
And are you still that, or did the world teach you a different way? I know Emily is going to have to guard her heart to keep being kind. The world's going to teach her being kind doesn't pay off. The world is going to teach her or try and teach her that being kind gets you hurt. Anybody ever been hurt when you were just trying to be kind? And when you come to that place, are you going to guard your heart and protect the things, make, uh, keep the thing that he made you intact, or are you going to be something else? It's something as a, as a parent I'm really aware I have to work with Emily to train her how to guard her heart. There's other areas, other ways that God writes on your heart. A few years ago, probably five now, uh, came across Bill Johnson's ministry and he told this story and, and I think with the first conference we went to, Heidi Baker, if you, for those of you who know her, was also at the conference and they both kind of shared stories about these amazing encounters they'd had with God that were life-changing encounters. And I thought, oh, my life needs changing. I need that. God, give me a life-changing encounter. And I started to press in for a life-changing encounter. And after maybe three months of doing that, and I'm just like, I'm going to keep going until I have this life-changing encounter. God, like, tapped me on the shoulder and said, every day has the potential to be a life-changing encounter. I went, oh, yeah, that's a good word. I think I'll listen. Because every day when I read his word and it touches my heart, it has the potential to be life-changing. But it won't be if I just hear the word and don't protect it. Like the way for it to etch into my heart and to change, change me is that I protect it. How do I protect it? By thinking on it, by writing it down, by remembering, by being grateful for it. God, thank you that you spoke to me. I'm going to respond to that. I don't care whether you understand what he said to you or you know what's going on. Just say yes. That's become my prayer life lately. Yes. I feel something going on in my heart and my spirit. Okay, yes. What is, it? What is he doing? Ah, I don't know. Yes, just do it anyway. Don't understand. Yes. Why? Because I want him to etch on my heart who he is. I want him to etch on my heart who I am in him. Your circumstances write on your heart. And you get to choose what they write. Like if you're sick, you get to choose whether that makes your heart bitter and twisted towards God. Or whether you'll find his goodness in the midst of it and let that be the thing that's written there. And once again, you get to protect it so that it can't be stolen away. Who has he made you to be? What's he writing on your heart? A big part of who Andy and I are and the, the role that we're filling is seeing people's dreams come true and talking to people about their dreams. And the dreams are fun and they're cool, but 
really they're a flag or a signpost to what's written on somebody's heart. Like if I have a dream to go to, you know, to Uganda, to Pakistan, to the nations, it's really saying something about who I am, who he made me to be. And we get to celebrate that, that you wrote on my heart and you made that part of me. You get to choose if you'll protect that or not or whether you'll be shaped into something else. I believe many of us lose who we're really made to be. Romans 8.19 says, All creation groans and waits for the revelation of the sons of God. The world is waiting for you to get out of conforming to what you think you're supposed to be and become fully, gloriously you. And it comes from looking, God, who did you make me to be? What did you put in my heart? And it comes from saying, I'm not going to let that be stolen away. I've had times when God's brought revelations and I thought, I'll never forget that. That so impacted my life. I remember one time him talking to me about suffering and I realized, wow, it's in the suffering I get changed the most. I'm all about transformation, so I'm all about suffering. Like, bring it on. Because I want to be changed. I want to be a carrier of his glory. I want to be so much like my daddy. Then if it takes suffering, then bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. Seriously. You pray that sometimes, you know, not very with much oomph, but I've prayed it with all my heart. Like, God, I don't care what it takes. Bring it on. Because I want to be like you. I don't want anything in my life that would stop your glory flowing through me. So bring it on. Whatever it is, God, bring it on. Bring it on. And I thought, this revelation has changed my life. This revelation I'll never lose. God, you've written it on my heart. And six months later, when some hard stuff came, I was like, oh, this doesn't feel good. You know, and two months of moaning later, because the money didn't come through or didn't work out like I'm expecting, I've gone, oh, Jesus, how did I lose what you wrote in my heart? Oh, Jesus, those things are precious. Help me to look and see that you wrote with your finger on my heart. Those things are precious. It's fun standing up here because I get to see the outward appearance of how different you are. But I'd love to sit and talk with each one of you and ask you questions about what are your dreams? What did he write on your heart? How did you get to be passionate about that? Why do you love that? Because there's beauty. Beauty in each one. The beauty of a story where he wrote on your heart, not in sort of some great highlighter that went across the whole crowd, 
but he took his very finger and wrote so individually, so personally on your heart. And he wrote there to make you into who you're becoming. Who are you becoming? Who did he make you to be? When he formed you in your mother's womb, he created you with an image that has nothing to do with the image that the world or the church or anyone else would try and push you into. He had this glorious picture of who you would become. And the method of you becoming that is him writing on your heart, him interacting with you day after day in the tough times, in the good times, as you read his word, as you play with your kids, as you go through life, he's writing on your heart and making you, giving you an invitation to become all that he called you and made you to be. But what are you going to do with the finger that writes on your heart? Are you going to respond and recognize it and say, oh, I think he made me to be this and I tried to be this and it didn't fit and I got kind of crooked in the way because I tried to fit into the mold. Or would you go back to the Lord and say, God, who did you make me to be? And what are you doing now to shape me and to mold me into that, into that person that you've made to affect the community around me? I want to invite you tonight to come and respond to the Lord. I believe that many of us have been conformed, not because somebody tried to beat us into an image, but because we came expecting one. We came looking for a shape that we had to fit in, and somehow, without us even realizing, we got a little bit bent (laughs) as we tried to fit into that mold. And tonight he wants to come, and as you just come before him, God, who did you make me to be? What did you write on my heart? What are you wanting to write on my heart? God, what are the things that you wrote there that I've forgotten that you're wanting to breathe on again? God, show me a picture afresh of who you called me to be, who you made me to be, the beauty and the glory and the uniqueness of that. I want to invite you to come and respond to the Lord. We're going to just spend some time. The music is going to play. And I want, him to, I want you to just come and ask him, who did you make me to be, God? Where have I let the world conform me? Come. Come. Come to the front. If you want to just do business, hear his voice again. Renew the tenderness of your heart. Thank him. Thank him for what he's written. You can kneel, you can lay out on the floor, you can stand, do whatever feels comfortable. But just, this is not about an altar call where somebody's going to come and lay hands on you. This is about just, God, oh God, you're writing on my heart. Thank you, that's precious. Thanks for writing on our hearts, Lord. Thanks that you love us so much that you write individually, you write secret love messages that change us forever. Help us, Lord, 
to protect, to guard those things that you're doing in our lives and in our hearts. I'm asking God that you would show people tonight, Father, where they've conformed to their own image of what they should be rather than just celebrating who you made them to be. And God, tonight we come like a little child, not ashamed of our nakedness, not ashamed of who we are, but glorying in your goodness and in your acceptance of who you made us to be. Speak, God. Give us ears to hear who you say we are. I want you to ask him, God, show me a picture of who you made me be. God, what have I let go? What have I let go that was always mine to be? What did you write on the tablet of my heart that I let get dusty and grown over with weeds that you're wanting to reveal afresh to me tonight? Jesus, the treasure, the beautiful treasure of the writings on each one's heart. Would you teach us, God, to recognize those things and to protect them with all we're worth? That we would truly become the people that you always imagined us to be. speaking, I was just sitting on the front row and as soon as I heard that, I could just feel the Father walk in the room and just start to call out. So I just said, God, who, who do you say I am? And I just immediately heard, you're my son. You're my son. You're my son. And I saw this big son written on my heart. For you, that's probably daughter or son. 
And then I, the sun turned in just to a big S. And then I saw these layers of clothing over my heart. And the image switched to Superman and Clark Kent. Clark Kent is conformed to the image of the world, but underneath he's really a Superman. And to transform, he had to rip off the layers, the external layers to become who he was all along, that it all along had just been hidden underneath these layers. And I feel like tonight, Papa God's here to remove some layers. You say, will you remove the layers? Maybe that's a layer of shame. You say, Father, I choose to remove that layer of shame that is hidden who I really am. Maybe that's a layer of guilt or a layer of unforgiveness or a layer of pain. This is your night to say, Father, I choose. I ask you to help me to remove these layers that have been placed over my heart of who you've said that I truly am. this dear church, dear ones the Holy Spirit is doing something very very beautiful in the heart of men, women and children in this hour because of what is ahead of us these are precious moments these are precious encounters with the living God 
we're going to finish tonight as well. Such a beautiful point in time, and we're going to lift our hands and worship tonight. Here we are to worship. One of the ways to guard your heart is in worship. Continually being in praise and worship to guard your heart in every way for what God has written on there. And your heart's not too small for God to keep writing. I do know that. It doesn't matter how young or how old. Out of your spirit. Out of your spirit. Janine said tonight there's a yes. And a long time ago, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, caused me something in my spirit to rise and say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And even in the darkest moments, I'd feel that cry come from my spirit, yes, Lord. What was I saying yes to? I don't know. But I do know over the years that yes has come up in my spirit. Even when the tears have been flowing, it's a yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Can we say yes tonight? Can we say yes tonight as a church together? Can we unite and a yes arise in our spirit, a yes arise in this church, arise as we stand as one tonight and let the yes come forth. Here we are to worship. Let's raise our hands tonight. It's a beautiful message tonight. Let's raise our hands and worship tonight. Let's focus on Jesus. Let's focus on him, the one that writes upon our hearts, the one that loves us, the one that died for us. The one that goes before us and God is our rear guard. Come on, let's lift our hands tonight, church. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to sing.